0: to the Onscript Podcast, your home for world-class conversations on scripture and theology, where you get to meet some of the best in the field. Visit us at onscript.study. Say hello on Twitter at on podcast and stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash onscript. Hi everyone, welcome back to the OnScript Podcast. This is Matt Lynch. I'm a co-host. With Matt Bates, Drew Johnson, Aaron Heim, Chris Tilling, and Amy Brown-Hughes. And uh, in this episode, drumroll please, we actually have an interview that Chris Tilling is hosting. So he does, he does uh, do interviews, so this is really exciting. And I um, hope you enjoy it. He's interviewing Jeff McSwain, and it's more in the theology end of the uh, spectrum in terms of what we do here. And uh, so biblical scholars can cross the divide. And we hope that um, if you haven't had the chance to rate us on iTunes or whichever your podcast syndicate of choice is, that you take that opportunity. We'd really appreciate it. And so with a few other people in the world. So thanks so much for listening and hope you enjoy the episode. Well, welcome to uh, On Script.
1: Uh, today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Jeff McSwain um, about his book *Simul Sanctification*. Um, Jeff is the founder and uh, currently director of ministry formation at Reality Ministries Inc. in Durham, North Carolina. And the NGO's mission is, and I'm quoting here: "Creating opportunities for teens and adults with." and without developmental disabilities, to experience belonging, kinship, and the life-changing reality of Christ's love. Now, Jeff has loads of practical ministry experience, including 15 years with Young Life. And he has two degrees from St. Andrew's University, an Lit, which he got in 2002 with a distinction, and a PhD, which he completed in 2015. He's published very various articles and, and two books uh, movements of Grace, uh, The Dynamic Christo-Realism of Bart Bonhoeffer and the Torrances, which was published in 2010, and most recently, the uh, subject of uh, our discussion today, Simul Sanctification, Bart's Hidden Vision for Human Transformation, which was published last year, 2018. Um, now, in addition to all of this, um, he's, he's married to Susan, um, he's helped plant a new church, City World, that began in 2011. And they have four adult children. So it, I'm sure they're, uh, he's a very busy guy. Um, so maybe, Jeff, if you could just tell us a bit about yourself, your ministry, and what are you up to?
2: Thank you, Chris. I am delighted to be here with you today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, yes, you mentioned that I'm the director of ministry formation uh, for Reality Ministries, which we founded in 2007. My wife is now the executive director. Um, and reality is a community of people with and without intellectual disabilities that are really sharing the gifts of mutuality and kinship and the common humanity that we have in Jesus Christ as determined by His life, death and resurrection and ascension. And that's what we go back to again and again. And uh, there's much joy here. In fact, it's spilled over into uh a 24-7 form, I like to call it. Uh, we started at the Reality Center, which was an old church that was purchased that we turned into a community center. And that evolved into a, a neighborhood uh, where we actually live together in community. It's a, about a quarter-mile square block area with 17 houses within walking distance of the Reality Center. It's called the North Street Neighborhood. So this is an opportunity for us not just to to see our friends uh in and out of the reality center, but also to share life with them on a much more intimate mm-hmm. le- level. So it's mm-hmm. exciting. I'm thrilled to be yeah. a part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. So you you've really got your uh your feet in both worlds, haven't you? In 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 practical ministry as well as um, in in the world of of systematic theology and and particularly St Andrews, uh, you know, having d- done your M Lit there and then your PhD, and what what led you to to the shores of the United Kingdom and and Scotland and St Andrews?
2: Burnout for one thing, Chris. <laughs> sure. I uh, you know I have had a chance to do some writing while working with Reality Ministries uh, before the 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 ministry started. In fact, that was what really catapulted us into the formation of reality ministries, the Mlit in St. Andrews, our whole family lived over there, 2001, 2002. Uh, but then you know some of you may know that starting an NGO, uh, a nonprofit, can be can be quite a strain. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I hit the point of what they call founder syndrome. <laughs> And okay. uh, my wife Susan noticed it, and she said, you know, Alan Torrance, and this is the more positive answer to your question, Alan Torrance has been badgering you about coming back and finishing finishing the terminal degree and uh, getting the Ph.D. for 10 years. Perhaps this is the time to do it. Mm. And so it was really my longstanding friendship with Alan that led me back to the shores uh, of St. Andrews and I could have pursued something uh, here in the States, but it just felt like with that relationship and with the momentum that I already had in St. Andrews, that uh, as long as we could figure out a way to get me there and back uh, on a regular basis, it seemed to be the, the the ideal way to pursue some of the conversations I'd had with many people in the inter- intervening time since the Mlet
1: and, and uh, so your, the PhD that you wrote um, under Alan Torrance's supervision um, forms the, the backbone, really, for uh, the book that we're going to be talking about today, correct?
2: It does. That, it's, it's a revised dissertation. Uh, the book is called Simul Sanctification because it's based on Bart's reappropriation of Luther's Simul Ustis et Peccator. Uh, or peccator depending on where you live <laughs> uh, but the uh, the dictum that that Luther came up with was particularly applied to christians and it was more static in in a way than barts is i think barts is quite dynamic and and transformative this the, the symbol as it's called is oftentimes given short script shift shri- for for being static and uh, kind of a static paradox. And uh, what I find in the similar, the way Bart wants to use it as the keystone for sanctification is quite the opposite of that. It's uh, transformative in the truest sense of the word. And, and I really wanted to put the word transformation in the title hmm. uh, for that very reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. So just once again, the the title of the book, Simul Sanctification, Bart's Hidden Vision for Human Transformation. So you've gone a little way there to helping us understand what the title means and Simul um, Sanctification. Um because it's a strange title, isn't it really? uh Simul Sanctification, So I think maybe what you've you've given us there is some insight into the background, namely it's luther um and then how that's reappropriated by Bart. but one of the things you just said is that um Luther's was fairly static uh, Could you explain what you mean?
2: Well, I think that simul Eustas epicccatur is uh simultaneously righteous and sinner. It, it sounds like there's a tug of war going on <laughs> that there's no real traction, there's no real progress, uh, especially when you add the totus element into it uh, So
1: within the life of of, uh, of the Christian you, you mean uh, for Luther the correct that there's a tug of war between the good and the bad
2: it, it, sound, it sounds like there's no victory at all that if Luther wants to describe us as totally righteous and yet at the same time totally Center, then, then what gifts? Um, and, and I think this is really one of the keys to sanctification, as Bart sees it, is that we we have two choices. We can try to minimize our sinfulness as Christians, and try to really quantify the fact that we're getting better and we're making progress, and. It really is based a lot on on what theologians call psychologism, which is an exercise in futility. It's a a self-assessment where we are looking at our own, uh, attempting to quantify our own righteousness or sinfulness through our own sinful fallen eyes. And of course, um, it leads to all kinds of arbitrary assessments uh, regarding how we're doing. In the Christian life, and um, because of that, Bart sees the weaknesses in, in such a schema, and he, instead of trying to look at the the ebb and flow of sanctification as being in percentages, like on a zero sum spectrum, he wants to say we need to really take seriously the totality of each, and instead of trying to assess the quantitative percentages. What we really need to do is let the work of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ, do the work uh, in a way that is by faith. So that what we can't ascertain or, or figure out quantitatively is taken care of by the fact that even though our sin is incomprehensibly deep, our righteousness, our dynamic righteousness, not our static forensic righteousness, our dynamic righteousness is incomprehensibly incom- deeper still, and the, as proven in the resurrection, and that's where he wants to put that pressure point for us.
1: Okay, okay. So let let's um let me then um back up um uh, a step, and um and I'll, I'll say this as well as I as I read your book. Um there a couple of times I've I've read a book and I have thought goodness I think this is going to be really important in my own theological development. Um and and this was one of them. I I must say as I, as I was reading your book I I realized that some tectonic plates of considerable significance uh, were sliding in into place in in a way I hadn't expected. Um and uh, I think when probably when I read John Webster's little book Holy Scripture uh, that introduced me to bart and bart 's thinking um, in an exciting way that was certainly transformative and I think simul sanctification has has deepened my appreciation for for Bart and for um, his theological vision um, uh, and re- uh, so i 'm particularly excited to talk to you about uh, your argument as it unfolds and, uh, and I suppose that means i want to take a step back and and see if we can make this as as simple as possible um, if 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 i could ask you this question in a nutshell what is the problem that symbol sanctification hopes to solve
2: <laughs> that word solve is a power is, a, is quite the word chris um hmm. i uh i know you don't expect me to to uh, solve two thousand years of, of discussion on this topic of sanctification, and I don't pretend to do, oh, to do that I was in the book. You would. <laughs> but no, the, the word symbol it, it let's maybe we should start there. That that to me is a critical word because it it chafes against, in a good way, the typical way of understanding sanctification as sequential. And I really want us to, to recognize, as I inferred a minute ago, this idea of simultaneity when it comes to sanctification. You know, I, I, um, I was actually sacked for theological differences from another organization that, that in their evangelical expression really wanted to focus on the sequence that we are we're and we're not a new creation until we make a decision uh, to become a Christian. And for instance, the emphasis of 2 Corinthians 5:17 was always was always before us anyone in Christ is a new creation the old is gone the new has come. And admittedly, when one has a conversion experience, you do feel that the old is gone. You feel like, wow, I am free now. I am a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. It's based on a sequential move. Uh, I like to say it's more more about the Jeff event in that moment than the Christ event, because there's a lot of emotion involved, and the feeling is quite strong. Well, Bart famously said uh, about the old man, he said, You know, I thought I would drown the old man, but that sucker turned out to be a pretty good swimmer. (laughs) <laughs> and I really think that's the common experience of the Christian life is that the old man rears his ugly head in ways the old self would be a better way probably to say it rears, rears this, the head in, in, its, in a way that causes us to wonder if we ever really did have a conversion after all um, and it brings a lot of fear and a lot of doubt and a lot of anxiety into the Christian life. Um, And I think that if we really focus more on the Christ event and on the fact that there can be a simultaneity going on in our lives as long as we define it definitively by the death and resurrection of Christ, which gives us that asymmetry that we really need uh, to interpret our lives and our world, Uh, unless it that that we're okay with this simultaneity and we don't have to sacrifice uh, on the idol of uh, of sequence
1: okay okay so so what you're saying is let's let's just take uh, one of my co-hosts as an example let's just choose matt bates um let's say uh, matt bates becomes a christian finally and um, um and experiences a sense of of joy and perhaps he gives up a lot of his sinful habits um uh, that he uh, that he did you know lived in 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 a certain way and 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 the 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 understanding of sanctification that you're taking aim at is the idea that, okay, that when he becomes a Christian, those things are definitively left in the past, and, and then you continually grow in greater degrees of 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 righteousness um, in your life, that means with, with less and less sin, and you're suggesting that hang on a minute, this 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 isn't going to be pastorally particularly helpful because down the line, Matt Bates is going to find out that he's still got a lot of those sins in place. Um, he can't guarantee that it's going to be a steady trajectory into into greater degrees of holiness all of his life. And if we think that's the case, then we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. And so what you're saying is we need to focus instead not on um the the uh, the human or, or in this case matt bates but instead on the story of jesus is is that a correct caricature and if that's if that's right then what does that mean then for sanctification
2: well yes the christological sequencing has to come to bear in our simultaneous existence is one way to put it. In other words, sequence is important. We needed an end to the old man. We needed the death of Christ. We needed for our old selves to be crucified with him, as Romans 6, 6 says. We needed that. But we have to interpret our lives in such a way now as to recognize that while we're here on this earth, we are going to live in a, a, a torque to a degree between the old and the new. If we have been taught that that is not proper, as in some evangelical parlance, then what's going to happen is when that does happen uh, to us, to any of us, uh, that, that we sh- begin to struggle with things that maybe we never struggled before e- with even before we were Christians, then what am I going to do with that? I'm, I'm not going to tell anybody about it because I'll be afraid that if I tell someone that I'm struggling with the flesh, that I'm struggling with this terrible situation or addiction. If I tell someone that, then according to the evangelical nomenclature, I might not even be a Christian. Right. So I can't admit that. I can't tell anyone. I can't confess it. And therefore, what do I do? I push it down. And that is the beginning of a, of a life of duplicity. And we see that in our own lives, but we see it all over the news where this godly person is leading people to Jesus and yet has a whole nother double life. This person hasn't been freed up to be able to confess in a safe place and to really know that the simultaneity is part and parcel of what it means to to live this human life in this sphere. And we shouldn't allow an, an artificial sequencing uh, that's that's based more on our our perceptions to interfere with that. And not only does it not only does it affect us in our our Psychology and our emotions as disciples—it really affects the way that we read Scripture, uh, and this is getting back to your idea of, the, of this Christological interpretation of sanctification. Because, as you know, Romans seven is often thought of as a as a, this battle between the old self and the new self. Surely, that couldn't be a mature Christian that's having that struggle, and yet Bart. Uh, in line with others before him, Calvin and Luther and Augustine, to name a few, all believe that Romans 7 is the experience of a mature Christian believer. And um, they're not afraid of the, of the simultaneity because they know, as expressed in that wonderful crescendo at the end of Romans oh uh, wretched man that I am who will rescue me from this body of death, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That Bart says that is the testimony of every Christian. And every Christian should therefore be able to recognize the simultaneity of the old and new, along with the testimony to the victory that has been given in Christ, ultimately, and that we can experience now, even, by the Holy Spirit.
1: Great. So, I mean, this is now getting into the, the nuts and bolts of of your own constructive proposal, um, leaning on on Karl Barth. If you could summarize your model of sanctification in three as simple as possible steps, uh, how would you go about, you know, summarizing it?
2: Three simple steps. Okay. Um, you're not trying to take the uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, out of it, are you, Chris? <laughs> always, always. No, there. Again, and I've been asked this question before. This is what I would propose, as simply as possible, in terms of an approach to sanctification. Um, and I think it really starts out with recognizing that the state of our souls and and is worse than we could ever know, uh, but that also. Um, that we are better than we could ever imagine at the same time. So worse than you know and far better than you dare imagine. Now, if we can start there and then recognize that we really can't consider the first until we believe the second, that's the first step. It's a safe place. In other words, we can entertain the incomprehensible evil and wickedness of our own lives within the safe place of knowing that it's overmatched by the incomprehensible righteousness and life and that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And if we know the first exists inside of the second, so to speak, inside of the deepest reality, of who Jesus Christ is and who we are in him. I oftentimes say that the the, the owl should be the reality ministry's bird because we always talk about the who-who before the how-to. Who is Jesus Christ and who are we in Jesus Christ? But if we can start with this asymmetry, not symmetry, but asymmetry that's proven in the death and resurrection of Christ, and we can recognize that we're in a safe place where we're truly loved, and embraced at our very worst, in spite of all that we've done uh, to to hurt our relationship with God and others, uh, then that's the starting point. So I would say the first thing would be a safe place. Like Paul says in Colossians, we're hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, rid yourselves of these things. So it's always the hid before the rid yeah. <laughs> and I think that, that that's really key. So that safe place is what provides that. Um, and, and you know I see this in the script in the gospels constantly, like Zacchaeus. Why did Zacchaeus repent? Because he was in a safe place where he was accepted and more welcomed by Jesus Christ than he was even in his own home because he was in his own home, but now he was re- experiencing that home with a capital H. And within that safe place, he repented. Or the woman at the well, for instance, the reason that she repented uh, and believed was because Jesus Christ very clearly made known to her that he knew everything about her and still wanted a relationship with her. Uh, And so this safe, so that's the first thing That, that that's the number one is to recognize those two things are happening but that there's a safe place in which confession and repentance can be made. Um, Secondly, I would say we have to give up this self-assessment that I talked about. Uh, This idea that we're trying to quantify our sinfulness and righteousness quotient in a way that talks us into or convinces us that we're making progress. Um, this is, like I said, this, this type of psychological assessment is a dead-end street. And it's funny because you talk to Christians, and as they get older, sometimes they'll say, I'm not sure if I'm getting better or getting worse. And the reason that's... <laughs> have you ever had that experience, Chris? Uh, I wouldn't be lying if I said I hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> the reason that that's happening is because even if they're experiencing more of the depths of their hiddenness and worth, in Jesus Christ, as holy and pure and without blemish and free from accusation, even if they're experiencing that, there along with that is a new awareness of how deep their sinfulness is. And so those two things are always going together. But the good news is, is that where sin increases, grace increases all the more, that the sin can never outrun the grace. So I think we need to give up. We start with a safe place, and then we've got to give up this self-assessment which is arbitrary, which is futile, and which gets us nowhere, and which causes us to live a double life, oftentimes uh, a, a life of, of um, a, not, a genuine, not a genuine sincerity that the Spirit wants to give us in our transparency with one another. So that's the second thing. So the safe place and then giving up the self-assessment. And then the third thing I would say, got to make it three things, right? The third, the third thing I would say is that we have to seek community where a uh, community of believers where we are constantly reminded that even though we're experiencing this simultaneous total sinfulness inside of a total righteousness, that these two incomprehensibilities are there, that we have to be in a community where we're constantly reminded of the victory of Jesus Christ, of the asymmetry between the two. So there's this interpretive frame. Simple sanctification essentially is an interpretive framework for living for the Christian. And on that basis of that asymmetry proven in the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ on that basis, we know the Holy spirit is working, moving in and through us so that we can walk again, Romans six is beautiful this beautiful expression that we can walk in newness of life we can have the lifestyle of a fresh start is the way I like to see it to we that we can that we can truly be transformed um, and that word transformed I'd love to to uh, to share a little bit more about that if, if we have time
1: yeah well we'' we'll, we'll, we'll make a point of coming back to that if we can remember so if I can if I can summarize a part of this dynamic you know i suppose it it's fair to say that from for popular level readings of of um uh of the sequence that you've outlined i suppose we might be tempted to think about you know jesus died on the cross back in the past um which means that we can be put in right standing with god and and uh, and and then he gives us his spirit in order to help us live um uh, progressively holier lives but in a sense that the significance and story of jesus is in the past uh, back then over there um uh, as well as his resurrection which then said something about jesus but what you're saying is okay um of course it's the death and resurrection of jesus but because uh, you use participatory language a lot just now you know in christ and and of course the pauline scholar and me Uh, warms tremendously um, to that emphasis and what you're saying is that story of Jesus isn't just over there back in the past but defines the existence of Christians now it is our story as it were Um, so first is that a a fair caricature that you're you're participatory it's the story of Christ that's defining our story um as it were in terms of of um sin and sanctification um so is that is that correct so far yes Uh, well okay so then the question that comes off the back of that is um if 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 then in christ we see ourselves as totally sinful and totally justified you know that that story um is defines the christian um, are you then um, making a case um, for um, the assumption of fallen human nature in the incarnation? Um, because I know you do something absolutely fascinating in, in the book on uh, at this point. Um, is, it, is it necessary that uh, the incarnation invo- involves the assumption of fallen human nature? Or, or can you elaborate on that? Because uh, I can imagine some might... Uh, struggle at this point to think, okay, we're participating in Christ to the extent that we're participating in his resurrection life and so on, but that that's the story of Jesus is only going to define that bit, not the rest. I mean, how would you respond to those things?
2: Thank you for bringing us back down to really the nitty gritty, because I think when we talk about life, death, resurrection and ascension, uh, and th- that we can we can speak of the cosmic Christ in such a way that that we really are putting, I think, positive and due emphasis on his representative role as the high priest uh, of, of not only Christians, but I would suggest, as Bart does, the high priest of our humanity as the second Adam, that that when he enters the Holy of Holies, uh, he he brings us with him, literally, in his person. And those pieces are really important, the representative aspect but sometimes we can lose sight of the singular Palestinian man Jesus of Nazareth and what that has to do with sanctification and really i don't think that barts theology of sanctification would be w- worth its salt without being anchored in the recognition of the struggle of jesus christ The one who really does understand us and therefore is our chief counselor, our co-chief counselor, along with the Holy Spirit when it comes to sanctification. In fact, you know, remember, he says, I'm going to send you another counselor, which implies that he is a counselor for us as well. The risen Christ is in solidarity with us in our sufferings now as the crucified Christ as well. So Bart I my my thesis is that Bart is suggesting that in a sense there's a Christological symbol going on which includes the fact that not only is he truly God and truly man, but that his humanity also includes a duality, uh, the duality of being the true human and the false human, and that he is experiencing really the Roman seven struggle as a man. Uh, we see this in his is experience in the garden um, most poignantly. Uh, but we see it in other places too. Bart's very sure. Bart's very convinced, I should say scripturally, that um, Jesus's temptations, for instance, uh, as Hebrews tells us, he was tempted in every way as we are. Bart is convinced that that means that his temptations came from the flesh, just as ours did do. And that he understands us uh, and our temptations at every crossroads and even if he never sinned, he was able to take on original sin in such a way that he felt at the very nub of his of his existence uh, the struggle to go to go left to disobedience instead of to go right and that mm-hmm. he meets mm-hmm. us at that crossroads at every moment. Of every of and every of of every struggle that we ourselves had that in fact we' are actually sharing his sufferings and his struggles uh, and that's mm-hmm. why that's why we can say that that we share his uh he shares ours before we share his. Mm-hmm. one verse that's really come to me recently as being one uh, uh that that to me is christological in Paul's mind uh if I could say so would be 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says, No temptation has overtaken us, which is not common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you might be able to endure it. This is a verse I memorized a long time ago as a young disciple. But I've become Mm -hmm. uh, more and more realizing that I think Paul means no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to Jesus. Instead of the word man, or no temptation has overtaken you, that is not common to you. Uh, And that it's because of that, that Jesus himself even says to his disciples, "For for your sake, as he prays to the Father, for their sake, Father, I sanctify myself. And that really throws people off, because most people think that sanctification has to do with becoming more like Jesus. But then Jesus is saying He Himself needs to be sanctified. What's He on about there? I think that's mm. I think that's pivotal for us.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, is is this a case? I wonder where um, certain biblical passages, you know, is that like that? He became sin for us. You know, they came in the likeness of sinful nature and all the rest of it. I wonder. I wonder if this is a, a point where your own proposals will sit uncomfortably with. Um, the classical tradition of Jesus's assumption of perfect human nature, um, uh, although you want to say both and?
2: I mean, we, we take by faith that Jesus is both God and man, God and human. Um, that's certainly, <laughs> that's certainly a, a truth claim that we believe. Um, we believe it by faith, not by sight, not by quantitative mathematics. We believe the same about the Holy Trinity, the three and one and the one and the three. Um, it doesn't seem to me to be an inappropriate stretch to consider the fact that Jesus' humanity also may be a true humanity and false humanity, one which needs to be put to rest and put to death for good, so that we, uh, and, and for that to already be a finished work, so that we who live in this existence where we don't see much completeness and wholeness, uh, can can have hope that we already have this victory uh, in spite of the fact that we don't yet experience it fully. And so, yes, I, I do. I do agree with you that I'm asking us to entertain that type of duality uh, in, in a way that I really think Scripture drives us that direction, not just to be cute or to be to be uh, Chalcedonian and let that drive our presuppositions. I really see both of those. If not, we have to ask ourselves uh, where Jesus' struggles did come from. Was it just a demon? Was it were, were, were his temptations outside of him, like the devil on his shoulder? Uh, uh, and and those types of questions about his his even apparent doubts in the garden or his struggle to know the will of God. Uh, what is going on in that moment? What does Jesus mean by? Uh, he's sanctifying himself. What does he mean a couple chapters earlier where he says, uh, I, my father is the, uh, the gardener. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. What do you mean there's branches in Jesus that are, that are dead or fruitless or that are no good? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This sanctification of the Son of God for our sakes is really powerful once you begin to entertain, mm-hmm. entertain the possibility of those two things happening in one space.
1: Yeah, so you're really bringing the story of Jesus and and our stories very close together. They they're overlapping. They're they're um, um, defining one another in a in a certain way um, that raises some uh, some theological questions that you you really are pressing us to entertain that that there that there are two contradictory natures. That exist in the same space um in our lives in christ um this is this is stretching our understanding of ontology isn't it to uh um in interesting places i mean I suppose you could say it's Chalcedonian, um but, but yeah um this is this is going to be a move isn't it that that could be a challenge where where we want there to be a zero sum relationship or a, or or an ontology where only one thing can exist in one space
2: absolutely and i think I think that we're so sequence oriented, Chris. We're just so sequence oriented that it's very difficult for us to entertain simultaneity, um, and that's one thing that uh, that I think that we can learn scripturally. Otherwise, we're going to fall prey to an us versus them mentality, and we're going to take scripture and commandeer it into that into that motif: the righteous and the wicked in the Psalms, for instance. If we don't interpret those christologically uh, and and really take our cue for anthropology from Christology, then we're going to think that some people are righteous, some people are wicked. End of of conversation. Uh, But over and over and over again, the scripture drives us away from, by using the binary language, it drives us into a consideration that there may be something more that Jesus is pressing us into. You know, the good tree and the bad tree. The good tree bears nothing, Jesus says, but good fruit. And the bad tree bears nothing but bad fruit. So it, it seems it seems like Jesus is asking us, which tree are you? <laughs> mm. But we all know that can't be the answer. That we're one tree that bears only good fruit or another tree that bears only bad fruit. So what is Jesus pressing us to see? Maybe we're supposed to have ears to hear that... Um, That maybe there's this binary that's put together in the one person of Christ, and needs to be interpreted by his life and struggle and death and resurrection, instead of an us versus them.
1: Yeah, absolutely fascinating. And I suppose tempted to say, you know, in 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 our days of these strong culture wars, maybe you're offering us a theological vision here for engaging those who would be otherwise be on the other side, as humans uh with uh with um with, re- with that respect and love and mutuality that will hopefully um bear better fruit than the sort of divisiveness in 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 our culture at the moment now one of the things I wanted to pick up on here is is the language' cause, oh, you're leaning heavily on Bart because I suppose you see in him this this christological focus as uh key for your for your own theological moves. Well, one of the things that you do is you, you deploy the language of actualism. Um, and at the beginning of our discussion today, you spoke about the uh, uh, the, the dynamic um, nature of, of, of um, the old and the new. Um, can you explain what is actualism? Because it's an important concept in the book. Um, and how does that relate to everything you've said so far?
2: That's a great question. I, I appreciate you asking it um actualism what what i call barch christo anthropological actualism again keen to keep anthropology inside of christology is simply humanity defined by jesus christ sharing in christ's ongoing human life at the right hand of the father that's the way i define it so that means that it's an ongoing life that we have in christ it's happening And it's not just Christ doing something for us in terms of objectively over there that we have to tie ourselves into. But again, this representative piece is critical. When Christ does something for for us, we are actually doing something with Him. That's the point. That's what actualization means. That what Christ is doing for us, we are doing with Him. That's why when I believe... As a, and, and become a Christian, as I believe, I'm believing not just in a body of information and not just because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that I intellectually consider that body of information over there, but because in Christ I'm actually already believing. Now, this is a mind-blowing concept, but what it means is that the, the Chris event or the Jeff event is always completely rooted in the Christ event. We can never take ourselves out of the flow of what Jesus Christ is doing. This is what I call the in Christ dimension and can, and, and consider ourselves separate from that. Now we can still choose against it and what Bart would call an unfree direction, but freedom is found in the sun. The sun sets you free. You are free indeed. There's one direction of freedom. And in that dynamic, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This is a transformation that happens non-quantitatively by the Holy Spirit. But it all begins with the fact that in Christ, I, I argue, we and that Bart is, is telling us this, that in Christ, the subjective is always inside the objective. That subjectivism is when we pull that out and assess ourselves as separate from Jesus Christ. But that in Christ, we are participating uh, unconsciously before consciously. Everyone's participating. We are loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are perfectly and freely obeying the Father. We are worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. That all these things are actually going on. Now, at first, people just can't comprehend this. And it seems like, well, that's, that's universalism or whatever. For me, for me universalism... Is a, is a static category. It's a logico-causal process. This is exceedingly personal, Chris, so that there's a real e- accountability in play. So if I'm in Christ and every human being is in Christ, actually moving in that direction, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why sin is so bad. Because it's going against this dynamic of life that has been proven to be the rhyme and reason of the, of the human race and the, and, the, and the cosmos, that we're going against that and we are in that, in that friction uh, of going against the truth of who Jesus is and who we are in him. We're, there are severe consequences. And, and that's why I try to teach that sin is intrinsically, Inherently self-destructive, because we as our human selves are already implicated in the positive sense. And so it makes the rebellion against that uh, being an act of Jesus and us in Jesus, that being in act, that dynamic, um, it makes it makes going against that. Absolutely uh, destructive uh, in our relationship, in all, in all of our relationships. So our desire is to live in the spirit, to walk in step with the spirit, to live in the truth, uh, who is who is the truth, and and, and of our very being. Mm. So I
1: so I think this is where some will probably think, okay, uh, I was on board up until the point that you said. Everybody is in Christ, worshiping the Father, and and all of the rest of it. Uh, I mean, I can imagine some. let let me take another one of my co-hosts here. What about what about Matt Lynch? That even Matt Lynch is 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 perfectly obedient to the Father, worshiping the Father in the story of Jesus Christ. Um, and but that that's okay with Matt, right? Fine. But what about all of those who are, let's say? persecuting christians and um how is it how do they fit it is everyone in christ um i could because you know there'll be those who will be happy that we're all participating in the death of christ you know paul said after all that one has died therefore all have died and and i know that um from our previous chats uh, i think both of us will be in agreement that second corinthians 5 is going to be a key for understanding uh paul Uh, but he also says that if anyone is in Christ, um, there there is new creation. Um, this this conjunction, if um, how how do you how does that pan out? Do you think Paul would agree that everyone is in Christ in in that positive sense of new creation?
2: Um, I would say the if is any any if of of that nature uh, is is more of a descriptive if, uh, not a conditional one. And what I mean by that is is describing. What, what new creation is I don't think it's trying to narrow the scope of it like with Matt for instance um, the the alternative uh, is to say that Matt this was true for Matt when he believed it it wasn't true until he believed it and then then you then that collapses into kind of a postmodern relativism which is you know it's not true for me until I believe it well the what what I'm saying is is that Bart is advancing this idea that it's because it is true that you may believe it, that uh, that actuality, actualism, actuality always precedes possibility, that if it wasn't actually happen, happening, happening in that dimension that's hidden from us. And this is this hidden idea that's always there in the same space as our as our perceptible existence, that that if it wasn't happening in that realm, it couldn't happen at all. Uh, Otherwise, we just make the gospel into a a hypothetical and gives us some potential to tap into it, but it doesn't really press on us. It leaves what Bart calls an ethical vacuum and there's not any accountability there uh, as if it's really that I'm that I'm really complicit in already. It's more of a matter of subjectivism where I'm standing over here deciding if I'm going to be involved or not. No, you are involved. Now, this is the gospel I would preach to the one who is not a believer. You are involved. You, you are. You are. This is who you are. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, when you begin to worship the Lord, why does it feel so good? It's because there's a rootedness in what's happening that is way beyond your perception that you're tapping into something that's not just true about Jesus Christ objectively, but that's true about your very self and your created and redeemed personhood. And that, that's why it feels so good. That's why it feels so freeing to believe. And that's why there's so much joy and participation, is because of that ontology that's underneath it, underneath it all. So when I see 2 Corinthians 5, which I do love, uh, you know, it starts out, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. Okay, so that's everyone. You mentioned that. He died for all. But then does that mean he leaves people off at the bottom? Everyone, he's died for all. So it, everyone died in Christ. Okay, everybody's been crucified with Christ. Um, and then it's up to us from that point to get into the resurrection. No, there's a solidarity that goes all the way through. We died in Christ and being raised with Christ is of a peace. And that's why he says, uh, and, and I like the RSV translation where, where he says, um, uh, he, he died for all so that those who live might live not for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. Died and was raised for our sakes. But did you notice you can still, that little phrase, you can still live for yourself in spite of the fact that in him you died and were raised. That's very universal. Uh, but the fact that you can still live for yourself in spite of that universal truth is uh, is something that I see in my life every day and in the world around me. Uh, but, you know, then then you've got the piece of, uh, from now on, we no longer consider anyone from a worldly point of view. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. So to me this idea of new creation, and first and Peter 1, by the way, really roots this idea that new creation happens in the resurrection, not in our decision. Uh, and if once we begin to recognize that that decision is inside of something that has been decided for us, as much as that might uh, aggravate us, uh, rugged individualists, um, as rugged individuals, we have to we can participate freely in something and offer ourselves uh, as those who have been brought from death to life. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, this is th- th- it's almost as if Paul could have carried on writing in the passage I read out earlier on that if anyone is in Christ, there is new, case, uh, new creation. It's almost as if he could have carried on writing, everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. <laughs> which, of course, he does write, uh, pointing to the the newness of uh, the Christ story. And um, this is absolutely fascinating and, and um, exciting as well, because it can offer, I think, as well, for many, a different paradigm for understanding what on earth is is going on in, in Paul's letters. Um, so one of the questions that, that comes off the back of this, I suppose, that will, will be asked, of course, though, is if this is the case what is the difference between Christians and everyone else? Is it simply that they now they've woken up as they've smelt the coffee or is it, or is it simply, well, what is the difference between Christians and everyone else?
2: That's, that is a, that's typically where, where this, this goes. And, uh, and I'm glad to to provide an an offer, an answer to that from where I stand. Uh, I I have an evangelist heart. I always have felt the desire to share Christ with others. And, um, I think the key, as you mentioned a minute ago, is that we have to level the playing field first and recognize that we're all struggling with, uh, with evil, that we're all struggling with, uh, with sinfulness, and that we also have been given by the gift of righteousness, this life in Jesus Christ. And uh, as Bart says, quit, quit looking for the, the evildoers outside the church. The evil rascals are right there in the church. Uh, you know, we've got to be able to recognize that it's not an us versus them, that there's the same exact ontology for believers and unbelievers. We don't get a new uh, ontology uh, medal when we believe. Uh, we, don't, we don't get um, something that others don't have, that they haven't already been given in Jesus Christ. We don't get the Holy Spirit then. That's given to us in the gift of Jesus Christ. Bart's very clear that Romans 5, Uh, in talking about this universal justification that came through the one man, Jesus Christ, that that is commensurate with the Holy Spirit that's been poured out in the first part of the chapter. Uh, And that, of course, relates to Acts 2 and the Holy Spirit being poured out on all people, on all flesh, as the prophet Joel pronounces. So this everything, every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. But a Christian is one who while existing in this fallen world believes that Jesus Christ and him crucified interprets their lives. It's someone who, as I said, seeks that community to remind them that even though wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God uh, that Jesus Christ has shared solidarity with us in our created fallen and redeemed States, he's given us, he's defined us in all aspects. Uh, so, so, the Christian is one who really can sing, I know my Redeemer lives. Uh, someone who really recognizes that sin is the exception to the rule, that the ruler has come, the Creator and Redeemer has designated sin as, as very, very serious, but not as serious as grace, not as serious as what Christ has done to deal with it. Um, And and therefore, I can be confident, even while acknowledging this simultaneity, uh, that I can stand in the judgment, knowing that the judge who was judged in my place uh, has taken care of this exception to the rule, and that even though it will be a time of being fully exposed, and uh, I'll see the wrath of God revealed against everything God hasn't created, And yet I can stand there knowing that the incomprehensibility of grace is deeper Mm. yet.
1: Well, this is, that's a, it's a lovely point to, to begin to draw our discussion to a close. Um, I, I find all of this stuff exciting. Um, I mean, I, I've just, uh, I, I love theology and this is exactly the kind of, uh, thinking that just gets me excited. Um, but, um, I, I wanted to just ask a couple of you know quick questions at the end, just your initial sort of knee-jerk responses to these questions, um, to to wrap things off. In the world of of biblical studies and systematics, what do you think's the one thing that needs to die?
2: I would say that the non-christological starting point needs to die. I think that it's in the non-Christological starting point that we have a tendency to bring sequence into Scripture uh, in a way that Christology doesn't allow us to do. Uh, even what you mentioned about 2 Corinthians 5, mm. Jesus Christ was made sin. And yet, did that mean he took time off from being righteous or took time off from being God? No. Um, that there's, there's a duality involved. So I, I, I would say a return to the to mystery of a duality, a, a return to embracing of the simultaneity as interpreted by the sequence of the death and resurrection of Christ in the midst of our fallen lives where we are truly still in solidarity with the suffering one, the man of sorrows, Who understands us? Who's been there and done that? I feel like that's really key for us going forward. Is um, to try to to try as much as possible to read the Bible from from right to left. I guess you could Mm -hmm. say. Yeah,
1: brilliant. And okay. And the last question: What do you hope biblical scholars, in particular, will will get from your work?
2: I would love for them to take what I just described and to entertain Scripture. Uh, using that lens, um, again, it's not about isogesis. Uh, although none of us can avoid isogesis, we're all going to participate in it to a degree. The yeah. question, as Bart would say, would be it, not getting not getting rid of isogesis, but which isogesis is worse, or which isogesis eise- yeah. is better. We're never going. To be able to see it completely clearly on this side of the veil with all the distortion and refraction that we bring into it. However, to look for the revelation of God and God's word living, as as through God's word live uh, written, with the lens of recepting, of receiving this in a way that we might potentially be able to see the two trees as maybe the two natures not natures but two determinations natures is a little tricky we didn't get to talk about that to to the two determinations of jesus christ who then wants to interpret our mixed fruit lives (laughs) in a way that we know uh, that there is a duality there and there's a mutual exclusion still between the two trees uh, but that his death involves the 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 cutting off and burning down and destroying the one that's that's not of creation Uh, i think that if we can begin to look at these binaries in a Christological way, the Old Testament as well as the New, uh, some things could really start popping. That's brilliant.
1: Uh, okay, well, a huge thanks to you, Jeff, for your time and for summarizing your, your main moves. I, I do hope this has been enjoyable. Um, uh, how can people uh, find you online?
2: Well, realityministriesinc.org, uh, the, the North Street neighborhood uh, as a Weebly site, Uh, And I'm on the author pages at Amazon, uh, as well as on Twitter, J.Y. McSwain. And I'm happy to have any interaction with anyone at any time. I really appreciate you giving me this time today, Chris.
1: Absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much for your time, Jeff. And uh, signing off with OnScript, hope you enjoyed this discussion. And we'll be uh, um, back again soon. You take care.